One of the preacher's little tasks is deciding not just on a text, but deciding how long the text should be. We have a fancy word for that. It's called the pericope. Pericope means where something starts and where it ends. If it's a parable, let's say, that's easy. You simply read the parable. If it's a story that has a clear beginning and a clear ending, like the story of well, Zacchaeus, for example, you read the story of Zacchaeus. But it isn't always that easy. Sometimes we start or stop the Bible at the wrong place. And that's true of preachers, too. I find myself wondering that about me this morning. A few minutes ago, Kathy read from Isaiah 61. She read the first seven verses, and then she stopped. Perhaps on the screen you saw verses 8 and 9, and wondered why she didn't go on. Was that a good stopping place at verse 7? Maybe she should have read more. Maybe the whole chapter, all 11 verses. It's an interesting problem. I don't want to put any pressure on Kathy because it was I who decided that she stopped at verse 7. But this was exactly the problem that Jesus had to think about when he came back to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He went into the synagogue, as his custom was, on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the book to Isaiah chapter 61, exactly the chapter that Kathy opened the book to this morning, and he began to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And right there, it says, right there, he closed the book. Now, what is significant about that? If he had read one verse more, this is what he would have read. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God. But before he read that, he closed the book. Isaiah is, to my mind, the most wonderful book in the Old Testament, I'm tempted to say, in the whole Bible. Its imagery, its poetry are unsurpassed. The Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Magnificent. The comfort of Isaiah is likewise unsurpassed. Where else do you read words like these, these words that Kathy read a few moments ago? To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them the garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. I thought when I read these words of our dear friend, Carolyn Gregory, such a kind person, such a gentle spirit, and how, how appreciatively she would have heard the, these words yesterday. How appreciatively she heard the words of those who spoke and of the words that Bill read and said. Yesterday we closed the book on Gene's life. A good man's life. And what a wonderful way of bringing his life to a close in our memories it was. And now to Gene is opened the book of life. And nobody could have expressed that better than the prophet Isaiah. But separating these two passages is this. <laughs> to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. <laughs> the vengeance of God is something Isaiah cannot get out of his mind. It is something that he comes back to over and over again. He cannot forget it. He cannot factor it out of even his most exalted poetry. Now, if you ask me some of the saddest facts about the Bible I know, they are these. How Isaiah's book comes to an end. What Isaiah wrote when he closed the book, these words. And they shall go forth and look on the dead bodies of the men that have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. And there Isaiah closed the book. I wish he closed it three verses before, where it says, All flesh shall come and worship before me, says the Lord. Or these words of Jeremiah, if we take the last words of Jeremiah to be from the book of Lamentations, Lamentation over the fall of Israel. Restore us to thyself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Or hast thou utterly rejected us? Art thou exceedingly angry with us? And those are the last words of Jeremiah. That is how he closed the book.
or from Joel. Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, and I will clear, I will not clear the guilty. Words of judgment, words of punishment, end the book of Joel. And these last words of the Old Testament from the book of Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah before the great and terrible day comes, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. The last two words of the Old Testament are a curse. But it was just here that Jesus closed the book. Just before he could have read about the day of vengeance of our God. God, you see, turned out to be far more gracious than even Isaiah could have imagined. Who is this servant figure that Isaiah writes about, this messianic figure not only to the Jews but also to the Gentiles? That was one of Isaiah's great feats of inspiration. It is about that subject that he rises to the very heights of his eloquence. But I doubt that Isaiah really knew. I'm sure that Isaiah would have agreed with Paul. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall understand fully. You know, Christ turned out to be even more gracious than he imagined. Even more gracious than Paul could have imagined. He turned out to be a friend not only of the Gentiles, but of the Jews, but also the Gentiles, and not only of the Gentiles, but the Samaritans, the friend not only of the sick, but of the lepers and the untouchables, the friend not only of garden variety sinners, but the worst of sinners. You know, Paul tried not to put limits on God's grace, but not even Paul succeeded at that. The the acceptable year of the Lord. How long was that for Paul? He worried that even in his lifetime, it would come to an end and the day of vengeance would befall us. But Christ turned out to be more gracious than that. I can't understand why people are in such a hurry (laughs) for the day of vengeance to come. (laughs) Why there is so much morbid speculation about that, morbid and wrong speculation about it. At least everything up to now about it has been wrong. (laughs) Of course, this comes to a fever pitch in the apocalypse of John. 
about which morbid speculation runs rampant all the time. But Jesus turned out to be more gracious even than the Apostle John imagined. The apocalypse, with its terrors and its almost morbid pleasure and imagining the descent of the Lord God Almighty on his enemies, uh, that was what John was writing about in about the year 100 A.D. But the day of the Lord has not come. Jesus turned out to be more gracious than even John imagined. You know, I love listening to classical music, uh, but one genre I'm not particularly fond of is the musical setting of the Requiem Mass. Now, there have been many wonderful settings of it. But what is disquieting about it is that whether we want to or not, whether the composer intends to or not, the greatest movement in the Requiem Mass is called the Dies Irae, or the Day of Wrath. And yesterday I was listening to the wonderful Requiem by the French composer Gabriel Faure, which is all beauty and comfort, and where the Day of Wrath is just slightly suggested. It gets past you almost before you know it. Now, there might be something to recommend talking about the Day of Wrath. But surely we ought to be glad that it hasn't come. So what shall we do? What should we do? With this gracious God of ours and this Savior who has been more gracious than anybody could possibly have imagined, we can treat it cheaply, cheap grace, Bonhoeffer's phrase. We can trifle with it. We can trade on it. We can take it for granted. You know, the great German poet of the 19th century, Heinrich Heine, there was no greater master of the German language than he was. And he lived a dissolute and short life in Paris, and when that life was coming to an end, uh, they asked him about, you know, his general worldview. And he said, Oh, God will forgive me. That is his business. <laughs> well, I hope that God didn't forgive Heine, and forgiveness is God's business. But what should we do with God's forgiveness? Perhaps in the smallest measure, we should try to be as gracious in our discipleship as Jesus in his lordship. And so from the book of Isaiah, he read how he had come to open the eyes of the blind and to free the prisoners from bondage 
and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And right there, he closed the book. <laughs>